thank you for your goodness and your grace and the things that you have done and your provision over us, your watch care. And Lord, just ask that you would be with us now as we study your word. And Lord, that you would encourage us in our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Copies, what we're doing on our Thursday nights for the foreseeable future is uh, we are going to work on a harmony of the gospel records. Uh, We're going to look uh, probably not at each and every verse, but uh, the references, uh, I'm going to do my best to keep the references uh, there. And you will notice that there will be some overlap uh, because part, of the different things like tonight we're going to be talking about the ministry of John the Baptist and some of John the Baptist's preaching actually had to do with his witness to who uh, Jesus was and so you'll see some overlap in there but uh, we've come through the the gospels uh, covering them through Uh, the uh, growth and development and just a few verses about the childhood and the young uh, adulthood of of John the Baptist and our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, let's turn to John chapter 1. We come here and John gives us a summary right, right from the beginning here. And uh, John chapter 1, and uh, the first few verses are going to deal with John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him, talking about the light, might believe. He, John the Baptist, was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, if we just took John's summary here and tried to go through it word for word and and trace everything that he puts into this summary, we could be a month of Thursday nights just going through these few verses. I mean, they're some of the most uh, uh, packed verses in all the scriptures. It gives us a little overview of the ministry of John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, you don't have to worry about where John came from. We get his history in the book of Luke. He was the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Uh, When Zacharias and Elizabeth were elderly, he went into the temple. It was his lot to offer incense. He prayed and God answered his prayer. And when Gabriel told Zacharias he was going to have a son whose name was John, what did Zacharias do? Prove it to me. And the angel said, fine. You're not going to say another word out loud until all of these things happen. And so... We have John growing up. It says he was in the deserts until his showing unto Israel. But the whole theme is not about John the Baptist. It's about Jesus. He came to bear witness of the light. Now you have to be careful. How many of you remember uh, Shirley McLean? McLean McLean? Something like that. McLean, I think it was. Does anybody remember her? uh, An actress of some infamy, as far as biblical things are concerned, a a blasphemer, to put it mildly. 
she wrote a book, Embraced by the Light, and talked about all of these things. And, uh, uh, of course, the light that she was speaking of was darkness. Read 1 Corinthians, even the devil himself is transformed as an angel of light. The light that John is witnessing is in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You know, we could... I'm just so tempted to spend all night on that one verse. Uh, We live in a world of death, do we not? Isn't it interesting that the people who talk the most about reshaping our society and make it what it ought to be. They talk about death all the time. Um, What was that? uh, Oh, another brainless wonder. Piers Morgan or something like that. He said, the Bible, uh, and you can tell how problematic this man's mind is because he takes the Bible and the United States Constitution puts them in the same sentence. Uh, The Constitution is a wonderful document, but it was made by men. It can only go so far. He said, but the Bible and the Constitution are both flawed. And they need to be fixed because they don't have uh, homosexual rights and all of these things built into them. The Bible needs to be updated. Um, No, it doesn't. You see... The Bible is talking about life. And the life is light. Why do we have to promote deviant behavior in order to have a better society? How many of you know the history of societies? that have promoted the homosexual agenda. They have not survived an entire generation after homosexuality and all of those things were made commonplace. Study the Greek Empire. Study the Romans. Study the history of mankind. Study the history of this nation. When this nation was a moral nation, this nation was a great nation. When it ceased being moral, we cease being great. There's just no other way around it. You see, when Jesus gives you life, it brings light not only to you, but to those around you. Because Jesus' message is life. We don't have to have the right to murder the babies in order to have life. How many of you read the article or heard about the lady that just passed away, the longest person to live in, quote-unquote, a vegetative state? It was well over 40 years. Just died at 62 years old. when uh, I think it was 62. I'm going to get the, the numbers messed up, I'm sure. She slipped into a diabetic coma at 16 years old and never woke up. Her parents took care, her mother took care of her until she died. Then her sister took care of her until the lady died. And the, there was doctors giving testimonies and things of simply this. It was one of the greatest pictures of love and devotion of human beings to human beings that's ever been told in the human race. You see, life is light. We don't have to let people die. We don't have to succumb to all of these things. And John's witness was to bear witness of the light that Jesus came to bring. I hate to run along the same lines, but the the most famous institution developed by mankind to make things better for people, 
How many people know what I'm talking about? The United Nations. Have you ever studied the history of what the United Nations has accomplished? It's a terrifying history. It is a bloody history. And yet, how many people have found peace with the world in which they live by meeting the light that John gave testimony of? I mean, even Napoleon, that, uh, well, I mean, what would we call him? One of the madmen of history, would we not? And even he said that Jesus could call the greatest army in the world who would willingly lay down their lives for him. He said Jesus was different than any other world leader. Of course, he included himself in that group of world leaders. Uh, He didn't last very long, but I mean, he said we all had to lead by the sword and oppression. He was the only one that led by love. I'll tell you what. We have the world of light here. And John came to bear witness of that light that all men through him might believe. This is what your gospels are all about. John is giving us a summary of all four Gospels. And by the way, I'm not one of those people that want to divide my Gospels up and say, well, Matthew wrote his Gospel to the Jewish people and Mark wrote his Gospel to uh, uh, to another group and Luke wrote his Gospel to the Gentiles and, and John wrote his Gospel to the world. And Well, wait a minute. Aren't the Jews and the Gentiles in the world? Uh, All four letters were given to us to help us see and understand who Jesus is. Now, as we go through, we we may find some apparent contradictions. But again, as we have been through this book over the years, when we see a contradiction in the scripture, where is the problem? Here. Oops, not the microphone. I'm sorry. The problem is with us, not with the Bible. Amen? We want the Bible to teach us uh, uh, what God has to say because we want the light, which is the life that Jesus gives. This is the reason John was sent. He was sent to give testimony. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. Now, verse 9 answers some of the greatest questions that people argue about when it comes to the Bible. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now, how many times have you been trying to witness to someone? They say, what about the aborigines in Australia? They never heard the gospel. Nobody took it to them. Uh, Wait a minute. This right here says that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. God did not sentence certain realms of humanity to hell. That is the God of the Protestant movement, the God of uh, Calvinism. We, We reject Calvinism. If it took Calvin to figure out what the gospel really is, that means nobody had it before him now, doesn't it? Now, Calvin explained a lot of things, but the only problem was Calvin went too far in his explanation. And when you go too far, you step out of the realms of truth and into the realms of heresy. God did not program people to go to hell. He has given every human being that opportunity. You say, how do you know that? Well, let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a people group in the history of mankind that did not believe murder was wrong? Everybody believes that. Where where did they get that idea from? Uh, You see, light 
is life. Darkness is death. The Holy Spirit of God has written that in the soul of mankind. And what we need to do is we need to stop worrying about who has heard and who hasn't heard and get out there and tell everybody God gives us an opportunity to tell and to support every missionary that we have an opportunity to support. Now, um, by the way, that just rung a bell here in my uh, scatterbrained uh, mind. How many of you uh, remember Brother Pemberton when he was here? We did not put him in the list of missionaries that we were going to take on. Um, I believe the finances are there, and if they're not, we'll just borrow it from the general fund. Could we add him to our list and get that done? Would anybody argue with that point? I don't think so. Uh, You know why? Because we need to get the gospel into the world. And uh, I believe Brother Pemberton will do a great job, and I don't know why, but every service since then I've been saying, we've got to add Brother Pemberton, and all of a sudden, here we go. So uh, forgive me, um, but this is what we are trying to do. You see, every man knows sin is wrong. That's what... Titus, as Paul explains it a little later, says the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us. And uh, let's just go there so I don't misquote it. Titus chapter 2. And again, this is just another illustration of what we mean by the Bible being many books but one. There is total agreement with the Scriptures Look at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, somewhere, somebody got the idea that murder was wrong. No one has ever invented a society that did not have the institution of marriage. wonder where that came from. I mean, there's been societies built on men having many different wives. Those were very few and and fairly short-lived. But the simple thing is, even in the societies where there were many different wives, there, there was not a sharing. That is... A modern ideal. There was still a purity. Uh, Stephen, can we slow that down back there? Thank you. There was still this idea of a marriage relationship that was not to be violated. Does that sound like light? Doesn't that make society a little cleaner? and a little more beautiful. You see, in all of our modern science, they still have not improved on what they call the nuclear family. Now, I don't know why they call it the nuclear family other than they're trying to have the idea of the nucleus. uh, But it's the biblical family, my friend. They won't use that word, of course. It is a father and a mother raising their children. You can't improve on that. I, I saw an article the, uh, yesterday. It was six things you can do to destroy your children. Don't discipline them enough. I'm sitting there, wow, where'd that come from? Uh, it's all here in the Bible. You see, Jesus was not kidding. God was not kidding when he told Adam and Eve, when you sin, it's going to bring forth death. James put it this way, sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. You name the sin, it destroys, it kills. You bring forth righteousness, 
He gives light and He gives life. This is the summary of the message of Jesus Christ. And we can illustrate it, and I've tried to illustrate it in several different ways here. And and we come here to verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Isn't that amazing? I remember one time visiting a church. I was just very new uh, out of Bible college a couple weeks with Brother Clayton, and he had sent us up to visit this church. And and um, and uh, I sat down beside a, a man uh, there, and he well actually he sat down beside me and said, "Who are you?" And I said, "Well, I'm Pete Montoro." He said, I, "I work with Larry Clayton, and he sent us up here to the conference." Now he said, "You tell Larry Clayton he's fat and he's ugly." And I'm sitting there going, whoa. Found out he was the pastor of the church. And he would, that was his way of joking. A uh, little rude and a little crude. Took me way back. But, you know, the simple thing was, Jesus did not have to present himself as being the owner and the creator of this world for people to recognize him as such. You ever met anybody kind of like that pastor I just gave? He had to present himself loud and brash and over top of everything, so everybody knew he was in charge. Jesus came unto his own. He was in the world. He made it. And never once did he assert himself. I'll tell you what. That's something that we need to learn from. Amen. It is, he was, he came unto his own, verse 11, and his own received him not. We meet in a former synagogue. Every once in a while, somebody will say, why don't you change the windows? Well, you give us the money, we'll change the windows. Otherwise, we got a lot of other things we're working on around here. Amen. Uh, The simple truth of the matter is, Jesus was a Jewish man. He was of the seed of Abraham. No Bible-believing Christian should be ashamed of the Jewishness of this book called the Bible. And just because the Jewish people rejected Jesus, it was not every Jewish people, person. Uh, Was Peter a Jew? How about James and John? Were they Jews? Was John the Baptist a Jew, by the way? Uh, How about Andrew? Uh, How about all the apostles? They were all Jewish people. Just because his own received him not does not give you a right to curse God's chosen people. And so we look at the scripture, and like I said, as we look at our newspaper today, as we look at the issues that you and I face today, we face death everywhere we look in the news today. You say, well, what is the cure? Well, I'll tell you what, in the history of mankind, no person believing in Jesus Christ, having surrendered their life to him, has gone out and murdered a bunch of people. You know, no person believing in Jesus Christ, no church has ever started a war. Now, many churches that use Jesus' name start wars. But that's just an evidence that they don't believe. Because if they truly believed in Jesus they would be embracing the life that he brings, not death and destruction to people who don't agree with them. Amen? This is the summary. And so many questions that we have are answered. And right here, the biggest question that you will ever face, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born... Not of blood, that means not of mankind, nor of the will of the flesh, not because you reformed yourself and did a lot of good works, nor by the will of man, 
You didn't choose to be good enough to deserve God's grace, but of God. It is God that saves you. How do you get saved? By receiving Him. Amen? As many as received Him to them, not to everybody. He gave power to become. That means you weren't what you are. You see, a lot of people think that, well, I was always saved. Wrong. A lot of Protestants said, well, uh, Calvin said, well, you enter the covenant line when you are baptized as a baby. Well, that's not true. You're not, you cannot be entered into any covenant unless you willfully choose to involve yourself in that covenant and a babe cannot make that decision. It has to be a willful choice of your own. Amen? And so, as we go through these verses here, if you're going to be saved, you've got to receive him. You've got to believe on his name Verse 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John is giving a testimony. Now, this John that wrote the gospel of John is not John the Baptist. We all know that, right? Uh, This was John, the disciple of Jesus Christ, who is writing the history. John the Baptist was long dead and gone by the time in heaven, by the time that this book was written. And so John is writing here and he is giving us the testimony and overview before we get into all of these things. He starts out with the eternality of Christ and then he gives us a testimony, a, a summary of the entire Gospel story. He said, we beheld his glory. John, the apostle, watched Jesus open blind eyes. He watched him heal the lame. He watched him call Lazarus out of the grave after he had been there for four days. He had watched him earlier raise the widow's son. He had watched, he had seen, he had handled meaning he had physically touched the resurrected Christ. He said, I'm giving you a testimony of all these things. We beheld his glory. There was no man like Jesus. The glory that he had came from God. He is the God-man. 100% man, 100% God. You say, how does that happen? I can't explain it to you. It's just what the Bible says. And if I'm going to choose, I'm going to put my faith and trust in what the Bible says rather than what man can comprehend and what he seems to think that he can explain. And so here we have this little note stuck right here at the beginning of the Gospel of John. And uh, we're in part one uh, and we'll, Lord willing, finish part one, which is the before the earthly ministry of Christ. Lord willing, we will finish that next week and get into it. But I want us to uh, go to Luke chapter 3 right now. And um, actually, let's go to Mark chapter 1. We've not done a lot in the book of Mark so far because Mark hasn't had anything to say He does not give the story of the birth of Jesus. He does not give the story of uh, any of the information that happened before John started preaching. But he starts his gospel in an interesting, in a very informative way. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, how many of you know what the word gospel means. You know what most people think of when you use the word gospel? Aretha Franklin singing respect. I mean, that's what most people think when you use the word gospel. I want to tell you that there's very little that could be further from the truth. Uh, 
That is not gospel. The word gospel means good news. That's all it means. Good news. And the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, it's interesting that when Mark says, I'm going to tell you the story from the beginning, where does he begin? As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As Mark is giving us the story of the gospel, he says it begins with the preaching of this man named John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is an important person. Now, just so we can get a little history in here, the Baptist church did not actually get its name from John the Baptist. Uh, that, that would be a nice connection to make, uh, but the name Baptist historically actually was, uh, is a derivative of the word Anabaptist, which is in the Middle Ages where people who refused to believe in the baptism of babies. They were called Anna or against baptism. Uh, not all Anabaptists were true Baptists. And they begin to form many different little splinter groups and, and uh, we come down into the modern ages and uh, as religious toleration began to be the uh, end of the day, the Anna, which was very offensive, was dropped and simply the name Baptist came into being. But the issue of baptism is why we are called Baptist. We baptize the same way that John did. And we refuse to accept any other types of baptism. And so Baptist, baptism is very important. In fact, it's one of the most divisive doctrines in all of the scripture. There have been wars fought over the issue of baptism. There have been countless tens of millions of people down through history that have been murdered by religious people over the issue of baptism. Uh, the Protestants, we are not Protestant. Zwingli, who was the great Protestant reformer of Switzerland, he had a term for it. He called it the third baptism. The first baptism... Of course, Mr. Zwingli was baptized as a baby, as a Catholic, and he believed that you needed no other baptism. He never got one. But when you would stand against that and be baptized in the name of Jesus as an cassetting adult, as a, someone who had reached an age of understanding, that was the second baptism. And if Zwingli caught you, he gave you the third one. He'd tie a rock around your neck and throw you in the river until you drowned. He wanted to make sure that you didn't live. He, that's how he hated Bible baptism. That's why we do not identify as Protestants. Because they hunted us just like the Catholics did. It was not a pleasant history. But as Mark begins, he tells the story... He gives the prophecy from the Old Testament. I'm going to send my messenger before thy face. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And John was that voice. He said, John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. Now this was the prophecy that's mentioned in Mark. It's also mentioned in Luke. Luke takes, uh, if you want to read the reference there, he gives the year of Tiberius Caesar. 
He gives the governor of Jerusalem. He gives the high priest in the city of Jerusalem. He sets the time, and you can go back in the record books, and you can find what years Tiberius Caesar reigned, and you can find uh, uh, very close within... Uh, the only problem is people, when they go back 2,000 years in their calendars, they're always off a day or two or a month or two. Or, um, and so we're not going to argue about calendars here. What we are going to say is Luke gave us the time, the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. We have the prophecy and we have his preaching, the preaching of John the Baptist and his person given to us. Uh, Mark gives us this history. Since we're in Mark, we'll just stick there. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locust and wild honey. We've often joked about John. When, di- when it was dinner time, nobody came over to John's house. I mean, the bald locust was basically uh, what you and I would call a large grasshopper. And uh, they're supposed to be high in protein and very tasty. I just thank the Lord I've never been that hungry. Amen. Uh, I'm not into bug eating. I read an article years and years ago. It said, if you're a real man, you need to eat bugs. Well, if that is the object of real manhood, I shall never attain to it. I just, uh, I, I think I'm well confident in who I am without having to eat bugs. Amen. And, uh. Now, you talk about eating uh, beefsteak and venison and all of that. I have no problems with that. But uh, that was, why did John eat wild honey and locust? Because they were available. Pathmark hadn't been invented yet. Uh, John did not till gardens. He was in the deserts. He was in the place that was deserted by mankind. What did John do with all of his time? As far as we know, it says he, in the book of Luke, he was strong in the spirit. He spent his time worshiping God and communing with God and preparing for that time when God would send him to preach the message of repentance and the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, we need to take a moment there And as we've read Mark's testimony, and you read again in Luke and in other places, it said all Judea went out to John to be baptized of him. Everybody in Jerusalem, John's message was not hidden. They all went out in the wilderness to hear this man preach. And it says, it it implies here, that the vast majority of the people that heard John preached were baptized of him. That's what's in the text. Now, what is repentance for the remission of sins? You see, John preached a message. There is one coming after me who's mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. Said the only problem is I don't know who he is. But he's coming. Now, according to Luke, Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. That would make John and Jesus cousins. How many of you have cousins you've never met? Uh, Most of us probably do. There's no evidence that John or Jesus or any of them had ever met before his baptism. John was secluded in the wilderness. Jesus was up in the northern part of the country, living in the city of Nazareth as a normal, quiet, hidden. No one would look at Jesus and know that he was the Messiah. John's message is he is coming. We don't know who he is. It's not me. I'm sent to bear witness of him. And if you want to get your heart ready, you need to repent of your sins. 
Is that any different than the message you and I preach, to, that I preach here, that we preach at this church? We preach repentance. Here's the difference. We have the record of John. We have the record of Jesus. And so our faith is looking back to the finished work of Christ, whereas their faith was expecting the announcement of the coming of Christ. This is why anybody who was baptized by John did not need to be baptized again, with one exception. Who knows where the exception is? In the book of Acts, remember the story? Paul was traveling. He met a group of people. Now, let me ask you a question. When did Paul live? He was living 30 years and more after Jesus had finished all these works. This young man named Apollos had heard the story of John and had never heard the story of Jesus. And he began preaching John's message. And in fact, he baptized a group of people just like John did. And Paul's going through and they said, Hey, you sound like you're preaching that same message we've heard. And Paul looks at him and says, Have you received the Holy Ghost yet? They said, We don't even know about a Holy Ghost. All we know is that the Messiah is coming. And Paul says, That's not good enough anymore. You see, he's already come. He already died. He already rose again. And he has ascended into heaven and we're waiting for him. And so if you're going to have faith in him, you got to put Jesus' name to the equation. And you got to believe in him and his finished work. Well, let me ask you, was that a hard step for these men to make? The Bible tells us no. And they were immediately baptized in the name of Jesus because they had believed in Jesus and then they received the Holy Ghost. Now, a lot of people have a problem with that passage. We don't. Because, you see, the faith has to be in the revealed Son of God. John hadn't revealed him yet. And so their faith was in the coming Messiah. And when they repented in their heart, God gave them this outward symbol of what had happened spiritually on the inside. It's called baptism. Now, John didn't go out to the Jordan River and have him come into the Jordan River and say, baptize you. He didn't sprinkle because that's not what the word baptize means. In 1611... When our Bible was translated into the English language, the translators had to be very careful with some things. In 1588, 12 plus 16, what is that? Uh, 28? Just 28 years before this Bible was published, Less than 20 years before the men began translating work, they had put the last martyr to death in England because they refused infant baptism as true biblical baptism. Now, these translators were not afraid of what the Bible said, but they wanted to preserve what the Bible said without allowing the quote-unquote king and church of England redefining the word. So they invented a new word. The word was baptism, or the Greek word baptizo, the English word baptism. Look it up in any dictionary, Strong's Dictionary. It means to immerse, to put under, to dip into. That's why the Orthodox Church, even to this day, now they baptize babies. How many of you know what the Orthodox Church does to little babies when they baptize them? They grab them by the shoulders and hold the nose, and they put them under. 
Why? Because they're Greek. They know what the word means. Amen? John put them under the water. It was a symbol. Repentance means I'm drawing a line and I'm changing direction. It's something that happens in my heart that results in a physical change in my life. You know what? How many of you saw Jesus save you? I'm only showing you what you do, but nobody better raise their hand because you didn't see it. (laughs) Because it's a spiritual work that God did. Amen? He has given us a physical symbol. I'm pointing to the baptistry that you can't see until we get the new pulpit in. But you go under the water, symbolizing the death of Jesus Christ. Well, into the water, symbolizing his death. Under the water, symbolizing his burial. Out of the water, symbolizing his resurrection. Did John the Baptist know that was the symbolism of his baptism when he did it? I challenge you, he did not. But what did it picture? Ah, repentance. Going into the water, the surrender of my will to God's word. Under the water, symbolizing the end of the old life, and out of the water, symbolizing a new life in a changed direction. Are we all together? You see, this is simple Baptist doctrine that we're teaching tonight. You won't find this in a Presbyterian church. You won't find it in a Catholic church. Why? Because tradition has changed the Word of God. What we want to do is get rid of the traditions and get the Word of God. Amen? We're not here just to criticize or to slam other religions. That's not the goal at all. What troubles me so much is I meet so many people and they say, well, that's your your truth. We, We have ours. No, you can't own truth. Either the Bible taught these things or it did not. And I challenge you that you cannot make the Bible teach anything different than what we just went over. Now, our time is up tonight. I could go on for another four or five hours on this subject, I think, uh, without too much trouble. Because I did not grow up believing these things. I grew up in a church where, well, it's kind of all the same thing and we kind of all love the same Lord. And praise God, when I was a young man, our church got a preacher in that started preaching what the Bible said, and the church changed. And uh, about that time, I went off to Bible college and began studying the Bible. And guess what? I found out everything everybody says about the Bible just isn't in the Bible. But John preached baptism for the remission of sins. Their faith was in the coming Messiah. When we pick up here next Thursday night, we're going to talk about John's announcement of Jesus. How that it was baptism that God used to announce the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. By the way, it is baptism that we use in the local church today that announces to uh, anyone here present that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, you have to get saved. Then you get baptized. You had to repent. Then you got baptized. Were you any more repentant because you got wet? No. But you were sealing the decision that you made in your heart with a physical ceremony and testimony to the world in which you lived. In the old days, the Baptist churches would go out to the major waterways and and rivers, or uh, if uh, we go back far enough, uh, we would uh, 
go to the Hudson River or to the East River and baptize, uh, that's putting your health on the line today. Uh, the water is dirty. Uh, so therefore, we have the convenience of having our own water right here in the church and baptizing, but it's still a public ceremony. It's not a private thing. We baptize on Sunday morning. Why? Because that's our best attended service. We want as many people to be here and receive that testimony as possible. You see, we want to follow what is in the Bible. Baptism was something brand new. I didn't touch on that. It wasn't just a rehashing of the Jewish washing rituals. The major difference in the Jewish washings, in the rituals of the Old Testament, the priest washed himself. They had a whole set of things that you did. If, if you were unclean, you had to take a bath. Well, guess who gave you the bath? You gave it to yourself. That's the way it ought to be, amen? Baptism isn't a bath. You don't wash away your sins by getting wet in the baptistry. You're giving a testimony that faith and repentance in Jesus Christ has paid for your sins. They're already gone. Amen? Well, I got to stop or I'll keep you here till 9 o'clock. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we ask that you would... Just encourage us in your word. And Lord, as we look at these things here that uh, I pray I will not get too tedious and, 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 and uh, lose sight of the story as a whole, that we be able to keep our eyes on the flow of the scripture. And Lord, that we would understand what the Bible truly says about baptism and about this man named John. And Lord, how we ought to live and how each one of us need to receive him as our Savior. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is so simple. And yet, Lord, it is so great that no human being can truly understand it all. We just need to believe on your name. We ask, Lord, that you would give us grace. If there be one here today that is not saved, that they would be at least moved closer to understanding what it means to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for many that have given testimony and been baptized in Jesus' name. That when we're faced with the temptations and the discouragement and all the bad news that's in this world, that we would keep our minds and our hearts stayed upon thee. We ask you to encourage us that we may serve you in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just have the piano play. And if the Lord has spoken to you and you'd like to just slip out of your seat and spend a few moments praying and talking to the Lord, you may do so. If you're not sure about your salvation and you'd like someone to open the Bible and show you, just come and get my attention. We'll